under and like to go to children's church, they can go. I don't know that we have any here today. I don't think I'm ever going to volunteer to play guitar for the whole service again. (laughs) It was very hot. We are in Zechariah this morning, Zechariah chapter 12. It will be in verses 1 through 9, Zechariah 12, verses 1 through 9. We have uh, been going through the book of Zechariah, and we continue this morning. This is the word of the Lord. The burden of the word of the Lord concerning Israel. Thus declares the Lord, who stretched out the heavens and founded the earth and formed the spirit of man within him. Behold, I am about to make Jerusalem a cup of staggering to all the surrounding peoples. The siege of Jerusalem will also be against Judah. On that day, I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who lift it will surely hurt themselves, and all nations of the earth will gather against it. On that day, declares the Lord, I will strike every horse with panic and its rider with madness. But for the sake of the house of Judah, I will keep my eyes open when I strike every horse of the people with blindness. Then the clans of Judah shall say to themselves, The inhabitants of Jerusalem have strength through the Lord of hosts, their God. On that day I will make the clans of Judah like a blazing pot in the midst of wood, like a flaming torch among the sheaves, and they shall devour to the right and to the left all the surrounding peoples, while Jerusalem shall again be habited in its place in Jerusalem. And the Lord will give salvation to the tents of Judah first, and the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem may not surpass that of Judah. On that day, the Lord will protect the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the feeblest among them on that day shall be like David, and the house of David shall be like God, like the angel of the Lord going before them. And on that day, I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord stands forever. In the last, I don't know, 10 or so years, there's been this fascination in Hollywood with making movies about the end of the earth. I remember when I was in high school, there was this movie called Armageddon, all about a meteor that was going to strike the earth. You may have seen or we've seen previews for that movie 2012, talking about how the Mayans predicted the end of the earth. Or most recently, there was the movie San Andreas, about how the San Andreas was going to crack and shake the earth and everything was going to be destroyed. Uh, This idea of destruction of the earth no longer being what it is, is something that tends to fascinate the imaginations. Nothing will be as we know it to be. But at the end of the day, it's just kind of a flight of fancy. It's cool to see the the graphics and CGI of places we know and love being ripped and torn apart for some uh, morbid reason, I suppose. But the reality is that there is a destruction that is coming. It's not going to come by meteor. It's not going to come by earthquake. 
There is a time coming when the world will be called to account. When the world will have to answer to God. What will they say? What will we say? What answer will we have for God? Will they have his protection or will they be destroyed? Zechariah chapter 12 begins our last little trek through Zechariah. We remember the first half of Zechariah was the seven night visions. And then the second half started with the first oracle. Now we see the second oracle starting here. The first one focused on the nations that were opposed to Jerusalem. But now we see that this is an oracle concerning Israel. And as we've gone through the first oracle, we remember that Zechariah has been taking us through a prophecy of things to come. And we've seen where these things were fulfilled. We saw the way the judgment came through Alexander the Great. We saw the way it came uh, during the Greek wars with the Maccabees. And we saw last week the rejection of Christ when the potters, uh, when the Savior will be paid for with 30 pieces of silver. And we saw the thing with the potter's field and all the like and how it was prophesied here. And the oracle picks up on from this point, as we'll see here. It's moving forward in history, past the cross, to a day of judgment. It shows that man's rebellion is not the last word. God will surely have the last word. So as we consider our text this morning, as we begin to look at the second and last oracle of Zechariah, we shall see three things. We'll see the coming destruction. We'll see the instruments of destruction. And then third and finally, we'll see the salvation from from destruction. Let us begin by looking at the coming destruction. Uh, The passage begins begins here by saying the burden of the word of the Lord. This word burden here is the Hebrew word masa or masa. And it means both burden... But it also can be translated as oracle. And so you can get a sense. I love the Hebrew language as well as other languages that are not the English language. Because the English language is very nondescript, correct? I can come to you and say, man, I love you. And that can mean like a thousand different things. Uh, The Greek and the Hebrew tend to have very specific words for what that kind of love is. And that's true here. There's a burden. This oracle comes as a burden uh, to Israel. Concerning Israel. And we see here, as we go through this, particularly as we we get to verses 7, 8, and 9, that there's some good things that are said about Israel. So why is it a Burden. Why is this a burden for the people? How can it be both positive and yet a burden? One commentator says it this way. It's not a burden because the judgment is coming upon Israel. It's a burden because of what in Israel, particularly Jerusalem, will have to endure before deliverance comes. A great example of this would be the burden Jesus bore. Jesus bore a burden. But what was the result of that burden? 
as he died and then rose again and then what happened? He was then seated at the right hand of the Father. It was a positive thing that came through the burden of his trials, of his death. And so as we look at this burden, I also want to consider one more thing just in passing. Over and over in this text, uh, you'll see that this phrase is often used. On that day. Uh, Over and over again, verse 6, on that day. Uh, Verse 4, on that day. Verse 3, on that day. Over and over again, it says on that day. Well, what is that day? (laughs) We need to have that clearly in mind as we go to our text. What is that day? It's also referred to on the day of the Lord. This is synonymous with judgment. The day that God comes in power to judge the affairs of the earth. This comes in two forms. When he comes again, he will come in judgment, but he also will come in salvation. Judgment upon his enemy and salvation upon those who are are his. So we see here the burden of the Lord concerning Israel. And Zechariah begins here with this little poetic thing telling us who this Lord is. This Lord who stretched out the heavens and founded the earth and formed the spirit of man within him. He's saying the the burden is coming from this God, the creator God, the God who stretched out the heavens, who formed this earth. This who is bringing this is who is bringing the word to you. In, a, in essence, Zechariah says to them, "This is the authority with which I speak, because He is the God of all creation, because He is the God who exercises authority over this world." And this is my message to you: His enemies will not win. His enemies will not win. Verse 2, Behold, I am making Jerusalem a cup of staggering. It's an interesting image, isn't it? If If I said to you today, that guy was drinking a cup of staggering, what would you assume that's talking about? Well, he probably was hitting the bottle a little too hard, right? That's not what this is talking about here. This is in the same sense of a cup of wrath, a cup that will cause the nations to stagger. It's a cup that will come to all the surrounding peoples. He goes on in verse 3 that I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for the peoples. It's like this. Have you ever worked in your yard or been working anywhere? And you've had to move a impossibly heavy stone. I remember the first time, and this was a long time ago, when I did yard work and it hurt. I was in, I was in doing an internship out of college, so I was 24, 25. And the, the campus minister I was working with wanted me to like help him do some stuff in his yard. And so I swung a pickaxe all day. And I woke up the next day and I was like, what is that? <laughs> That does not feel right. That hurts, in fact. Uh, You can imagine this as you go into your yard and I have to pick up this rock. And it's impossible and you strain all your muscles. And this is what Jerusalem will be. They will be a heavy stone. 
And the peoples are going to come against Jerusalem. They're going to say, we're going to crush you, stone. And so they pick up their stone axe and they start pounding, whatever you want to call it, a pick. And they start pounding at the stone. But this heavy burden is too much for them. They cannot take it. They will be injured in their efforts. But he goes on, he says, not only will you be a stumbling block in essence, not only will you be a a bone of contention for them, but I'm going to come in and I'm going to be active as well. He says, I'm going to strike their horses with panic. I'm going to strike their riders with madness. So these nations are going to come against God's people and they're going to be dumbfounded. They're going to come in panic. They're going to be maddened. In essence, he says, I am bringing a destruction. It will not come in the form of a comet, not an earthquake, nothing man-made. I am going to come and I am going to crush your enemies. I am going to confound them. They will respond in panic to me. And we look at this world around us and if... You don't have to look too hard to see that it seems to be flourishing. Uh, At times, I feel much like the writer of Psalm 73. I look at my enemies and I see that they are flourishing. The rich are getting richer. They're being more secure in their own comfort. They, They say God is a lie and yet they prosper. They have lost the fear of God. And they're constantly moving away from him. And yet God says there is a destruction coming. Like the psalmist in Psalm 73, it says, Then I looked into the holy place. I saw their end. In essence, he's saying, I saw the day of the Lord when they were crushed against the people of God. God is not passive. He will have the last word. This destruction is a reality. And if it is a reality, then we have to ask ourselves this. Who is this destruction coming for? Is this destruction coming for me? Am I among the nations? Am I counted among this world? Or am I counted as of God? If we are of God, then we are his instruments. This is our second point, the instruments of destruction. When God works, when God comes to work against this world, we see several things happening. There is an increasing intensity as the battle is brought to this hostile world. Uh, As we've said, he confounds them. He shames them. He allows them to be wounded by the things that they do themselves. This is interesting here because it doesn't say he picks up the rock and he hurls it at them, does it? No, it says that they come against the rock and the rock injures them. The stone. Judgment is coming upon this world and we will be his instruments of destruction. Do you consider yourself an instrument of destruction? God will protect you. 
And he is ready and he is willing to come to your defense. Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. This is the God we have, but he has called us to be an instrument. And the world is going to come to you and they're going to try to stamp down upon you. Over and over again, we see this in history. As the church got started, what happened? Rome said, we don't like these pesky Christians. They're in the way. Let us remove this problem that is in our way. What happened to Rome? Rome is no longer there, is it? The Roman Empire, I should say, as we see at the time of Jesus. We go forward in history. 1588, a time of not good going on in the Catholic Church, the Spanish Armada, Spanish Inquisitions. They decide that they're going to go over to England with 170 ships, 7,000 soldiers, soldiers, 17,000, or excuse me, 7,000 sailors, 17,000 soldiers, and they're going to go and get rid of these pesky Protestants, right? So they take their 130 ships into the English Channel. The English had a mere 90 ships. The battle was brutal. All seemed lost for the English. But then a mighty storm came. Blew the English or the Spanish out of the English Channel into the North Sea and sunk them. Most were lost. After the battle, the English government had coins printed that said, A flout Deus. You know what that means? God blew. Who won the day? Who protected the people of God? It was not the people. The, the world came against the people of God and sought to crush them, and yet they were crushed upon them. There are many in the church today that say for the church to survive, if we are going to survive going forward, then we must change who we are. We must look more like the world so that the world will not crush us and blot us out. But Zechariah says, wake from your slothfulness. Wake from your deliriousness. You have a God who will use you as you stand as the church to destroy this world. J.I. Packer, and this is somewhat a lengthy quote, but it's very good if you can hold on to it, says this, Jerusalem is a picture of Christian churches generally in the modern West. Weakness, disillusionment, and the melting away of adherence is the story everywhere. The secularizing of community life and the faltering of theologians, church leaders, and ordinary clergy has left the majority of congregations in a very low state. Overall, the Western church has shriveled and shrunk. It has ceased to count as a community force. The faith of which God made its trustee is largely unknown to the man in the street. And when known, it is largely ignored. And the godliness that the church once set forth as true humanness is rated in popular culture as a coming old-fashioned oddity. The world looks at the church today and goes, well, isn't that little house on the prairie just quaint and nice? Look at that fleeting, going away thing. It's quaint, it's outdated. 
And even the church can have this mentality. As the world comes in and says, look how quaint you are. Look how outdated you are. As people like Richard Dawkins say, your religion is a crutch. You use it to a certain point to get along, but now you need to grow up. Get rid of the crutches and move on. And churches hear these words and they go, maybe you're right. And they start looking for a new identity. And what has crept up in our churches is that now we have churches that are living the social gospel. Let me tell you what this means. This means that they focus on things like feeding the poor, on orphans and widows. They become philanthropic organizations. Now, let me stop for a second. Those things are good things. Those things are, in fact, things that we are commanded to do, to care for those who are uh, down and needy and orphans and widows. These are good. But the church is not, first and foremost, a philanthropic organization. It is not. And if we allow the church to live this way, it will destroy the church. Yes, we take care of the poor. Yes, we take care of the needy. And the church is, in fact, failing at this. And that's why these other organizations and these other churches that are focusing on it are flourishing because there's a need that the church should be taken care of, but it's not. But we cannot do this to the exclusion of theology, to the exclusion of biblical truth. Christ is first and foremost in all things. His life, his death, his resurrection. This is the thing we must focus on. If we are to be God's instruments, my fear is this, that we have churches that are stationed and they look like rocks, but they're just mere paper mache. You know what paper mache is, right? Wet newspaper put on wire. What happens if you take a pick to that? It'll be utterly destroyed and consumed. We must be the church he has called us to be. We must be the people he has called us to be. And we must look to be used. It's not that we go out into the world with words of judgment saying, allow yourself to be crushed upon me. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, you live my truthfulness and I will crush the world upon you. We go out into the world, we speak words of truth, of love. We do it unfailingly. Proverbs 25, 22 says, you go out in kindness and you heap coals upon their heads. This is an interesting image, right? If I were to take coals, you know what coals are, right? hot burning things and put them on your head, what would they do to you? They would destroy you. (laughs) It says heap coals upon their head as you come in kindness, not in words of contention, not in words of anger, but you come in kindness and say, I'm going to love you no matter what, because Christ loved me no matter what. We heap coals upon their head. And it's not that we in our love neglect truth, but we love unfailingly. Because we have a God, this is how we close today, who has saved us from destruction. 
his people, God's people, will remain strong for he is our strength. He blesses us and enables us to prevail over our foes. He makes us strong through his own might. Israel was in need of leaders. He says you need leaders who are going to be like blazing pots in the midst of wood, like a flaming torch among the among the sheaves. What is this image of? If you take a blazing pot or a, a, a torch and you put it among wood, very dry wood, what happens? You're going to have a fire on your hand. You are to be this. Your leaders are to be this. You are to consume those with truth for those who will oppose God. And you are to take a stand in doing so. No matter what the cost. I want to give you two examples from history once again of this. Martin Luther, the great founder of Lutheranism at the Diet of Worms, 1521. He was there. This council of diet is a council of diet of worms. He was there and he was asked to recount of his beliefs. Saying, you've been teaching these things and we want you to say they're not true. This is what he said. Unless I am convinced by scripture and plain reason. I do not accept the authority of the popes and councils. For they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and will not recant anything. For to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen. What faced Luther? If not spirited away by some friends, Luther was going to be killed. But Luther was saved. What about maybe another uh, Puritans, Nicholas Ridley and Hugh Latimer? Have you ever heard of them? Not many people have, but under the reign of Bloody Mary, they were convicted for teaching uh, Protestant theology. They were tied to the stake to be burned. Nicholas Ridley, as they're there, they're about to be burned, turned to his friend Hugh Latimer and said this, Be of good cheer, Master Ridley, and play the man, for we shall this day light such a candle in England as I trust by God's grace shall never be put out. He was literally about to be burned. And he said, Let us blaze on fire for the gospel. Let us burn for Jesus Christ. God will make his church secure. He will bring peace to his people. And his church are in need of people who are ready to stand for him, no matter what the cost, even if it means being burned. He will bring salvation. This is what verse 7 says. And the Lord will give salvation to the tents of Judah. He will bring to them a Davidic king, a king who will bring them this salvation. Who is this king? If not Jesus Christ, he will deliver them from all those who seek to oppress them. And when he brings this one, he will also bring to them salvation. Or or excuse me, protection. Verse 8, on that day the Lord will protect the inhabitants of Jerusalem. He says, even the lowest of them will be like King David. He will elevate them to this high position and we will be the house of God and he will protect his people. He is bringing unity and protection. And this deliverance comes for the whole 
of the people of God. He will go before them. He will protect them. Even the most feeble, even the the one with the least strength. The church is in dire need of leaders. Good biblical leaders. But we have to remember, even in this, that we have been given a great and good leader. One who has been a champion for us. Jesus Christ who has come and saved us from the destruction that will come. He has defeated sin and death. He has secured for us life everlasting. And he has done this through what means. Interestingly here, we, over and over again, we're, we've seen this rock or this stone. And I've said this over and over. And you would think Jesus wouldn't come in such a way, right? Jesus is going to come and he's going to smite his foes. No. He came and he went to the cross. The world sought to crush him. We will crush you through the means of the cross. But what happened instead? They were crushed upon him. They were driven out. We must therefore have courage to stand. Are you reluctant to take a stand for Jesus? Hear the message of Zechariah. Turn to the Lord who protects his people. Turn to him and trust him. Are you trusting but you're still scared to take a stand. Know this. As you take a stand for Jesus, the world's going to reject you. Your family is going to reject you. Your friends are going to reject you. People are going to look at you and call you foolish. They're going to reject you because of your faith. I guarantee you that this will happen. But you have a God who watches over you, who will give you strength, who will lead you into victory over your foes. The destruction is coming. The day of the Lord is coming. The day is coming when every knee shall bow. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. I want you to understand here when I say that, that that means every. Not just his people. It means every people. They will be broken Where will you stand? Where will you stand? He has saved us from destruction. He has delivered us from our foes. Where will you stand? How will you respond? Will you respond in fear? Or will you fear God? Will you respond in fear of this world? Or will you fear God who has saved you and delivered you? Brothers and sisters, it's my prayer that you would fear God. That you would stand firm in him. That even in face of this world, you would not back down. You would not conform to them. You would not give up the word of God. That you would not give up the truth for a lie. Would we stand firm in him? Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word. We're so so thankful for Zechariah 
and the message that he has even for us today, that in Jesus Christ we have a firm foundation, that we indeed will be the instruments of this, the world's destruction. Lord, would we be able to believe and live as if that were true. We pray in Jesus' most holy name. Amen. Amen.